0: Well, welcome to Salem Chapel, whether you're in this auditorium, whether you're watching us online. We're so glad that you're here today. Man, what an amazing song that um, every time I sing that song, I ask myself, Lord, let me make sure that these aren't songs that I'm, or this isn't a song in words that I'm just singing, but they're really a reflection of my heart, that I will build my life upon your word. It's a firm foundation. I'll build it upon your love. Those are tremendous words, and really, uh, those are words that have been reinforced in this series that we have been in in the book of Judges. So, if you want to turn your Bibles to Judges eleven, if you're new with us, we've been in this series really since September. Uh, we'll wrap it up here in the first couple of weeks in December. We've entitled the series "Walking Through the Book of Judges: Broken People, Faithful God," because after all, if you spend any time in the book of Judges and you've been with us in this series, one thing that you have for sure absorbed by now is that we are broken people, just like you've seen the brokenness of Israel, where they sin and they worship uh, other things or other people other than the Lord. Consequences come into their life that are serious. They repent, God delivers, He's faithful. But unfortunately, they continue to repeat this cycle of behavior. And as we've challenged you every week how that can seem redundant, which it is, it can seem exhausting, which it is, that we are careful not to criticize Israel and in criticizing Israel, avoiding the opportunity to evaluate our life and be reminded of our brokenness. Because when we're reminded with our brokenness, it allows us to appreciate and value and love and cherish the faithfulness of our God in spite of our brokenness. And that's really what we've been looking at every week in this series, that looking at different aspects of the brokenness of Israel and being faced with our own brokenness and how we can relate to even what Israel is being tempted by and falling into so that the faithfulness of God can be the thing that reaches down and pulls us up from our place of brokenness and restores us into a right relationship with the Lord. And so this morning's no different. We find ourselves in Judges 11. What I want to do, because we're not going to be able to deal with every verse in this chapter, is kind of summarize a lot of the content that we will be looking at this morning. So we don't have time to read every single verse, but I first want to set up Judges 11. Because we come to Judges 10, and we don't have time, as I mentioned, to deal with verses 6 through 18, which actually sets up what we... We'll see in Judges 11, see, unfortunately, we come to verse 6 and we find this phrase that, as I said, has been mentioned over and over again in this book. And the phrase is this at verse 6. The people of Israel again, say again with me, people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And it mentions all the gods that they went back to serving in spite of all the faithfulness of God find themselves again doing what they always have done they stray back into that cyclical pattern that leads to nothing good but only to unfortunate and destructive consequences and in verses 6 through 18 what happens and this is familiar to us they cry out to the lord they ask the lord to deliver And what's different about what we find in chapter 10, verses 6 through 18, is God actually responds to them and says, hey, why don't you cry out to the gods that you've been serving and see if they'll deliver you? So there's a bit of sarcasm in God's response. There's a bit of frustration in God's response, not in a sinful way because God can't sin, but in a way to where he challenges Israel and says, basically, through that question, how long are you going to keep doing what you're doing? And Israel's response to God's question is, is they, they rid themselves of the gods that they have been serving, they look back to the Lord, and the Lord promises deliverance. This time, they're being perplexed and, 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 and have the king of Amnon and the Ammonites about to come and invade this area of Israel called Manasseh, where the tribe of Manasseh was given their land, and We come to chapter 11 now, that's kind of the context of verses 6 through 18 where you have the inhabitants of Gilead who are the people that are from the tribe of Manasseh and they get this promise from the Lord that the Lord will deliver but the problem is is nobody has showed up on the scene who is the deliverer. Who the Lord is going to show and say, this is the person who's going to do that. Like we've seen all every other time in the book of Judges. And so we come to verses 1 through 3 and we're introduced to this man, Jephthah. And we'll spend more time in verses 1 through 3. Many of you, if you've spent any time in God's word, might be familiar with Jephthah. How many of you have heard Jephthah uh, before? Raise your hand. Okay, a few of you. Majority of you have not in this room, or you're just not raising your hand. I don't know which one of the two, but I'm going to go with most of you have not. So Jephthah is known as someone who makes a vow to the Lord. And if you're familiar, you know, oh, I know about Jephthah's vow. And if you don't know that, we'll explain that here in a moment. But Jephthah is, comes onto the scene, and he's introduced in this story. And, and Jephthah is a mighty warrior. The problem is, is he, he, his mother is a prostitute, which is actually worse than a concubine. Because the concubine at least was, was a certain person's, um, for lack of a better word, other than their wife was the person, was, was, was property, for lack of a better word, and ladies be so thankful you didn't live back then. But the difference between a prostitute is anybody could be with this person. So Jephthah having a mother who's a prostitute is actually worse than having a mother who's a concubine. And even though Jephthah's a mighty warrior the problem is is his mother is who she is and he's ostracized by his brothers and he's cast out from the land of Manasseh there's a map on the screen because one of the things that you need to know up to this point Israel is not ruled as a nation. Israel isn't a nation yet, so you have tribes in the book of Judges. And and the different stories that we've been looking at are stories about different tribes. This one just happens to be about Manasseh. And Gideon is cast out of the land of Manasseh into the land of Tob that is mentioned in verses one through three. And The reason why I'm showing a map is you're like, well, the land of Tob. I had no idea where Tob was, just like you probably didn't. Tob is actually southeast from the Sea of Galilee, that body of water that is just north of the lines of Manasseh on that map is the Sea of Galilee. And southeast of that, outside of Manasseh, is the land of Tob. Wasn't a place you wanted to go, wasn't a place you wanted to live. It's where vigilantes, it was the Wild West of the Bible. The reason why I show you that map is so that you understand that Jephthah was cast out of his home. He was cast away from his people, his very people that were his flesh and blood. And, and then you come into verses 4 through 11 and you run into that these elders of Gilead, the same individuals who didn't want to have anything to do with Jephthah. The problem is is Amnon, the king of Amnon, is, is ready to invade this area of Manasseh, and the elders of Gilead know that they need someone to lead their army. And what, who comes to mind? Jephthah. Now, mind you, they just said they wanted and didn't want to have anything to do with Jephthah. We don't know how, many, how much time takes place between verse 3 and verse 4, but nevertheless, the elders of Gilead are like, hey, we got to go back to Jephthah. We need to ask for his help. He's the mightiest warrior in our, in our tribe, and we need to approach him and ask him if he would lead this army against the Ammonites. And so they approach Jephthah. And Jephthah hears their pleas, and he makes a deal. He negotiates. He brokers with these elders of Gilead. He says, I will fight you, but if I'm going to fight, if I win the battle, then I get to lead over the tribe of Manasseh and the elders of Gilead agree to this deal that Jephthah brokers. Now in verses 12 through 28, what we'll find, and hopefully you've already read through this if you're with our reading plan, um, through the book of Judges, you can access that at salemchapel.org backslash judges, it's a little commercial for that. But in verses 12 through 28, what happens is, is now Jephthah is speaking on behalf of Manasseh. And Jephthah goes to the king of Amnon, and he goes to the king of Amnon, and he is negotiating, saying, why are you, why are you trying to invade our land? But in the midst of the negotiation, Jephthah has no plans to come to a peaceful uh, process through negotiations he's just buying himself time to gather together all the army from all the other areas of Manasseh, so that they can fight against the ammonites and we come to verses 29 through 40 which is where we're going to spend the majority of our time now remember god answers israel in chapter 10 verses 6 through 18 But up to this point in verse 29 of chapter 11, God is silent. God doesn't affirm Jephthah. God doesn't say Jephthah's our guy. The elders of Gilead negotiated that whole ordeal for Jephthah to lead Israel. But we come to verse 29, and it's the first indication that the Lord is behind Jephthah. It says in verse 29, the spirit of the Lord came upon or was upon Jephthah. Now, here's what you need to understand in the Old Testament, just as a side note. The Holy Spirit operated differently in the Old Testament than he does now, after Jesus lived and died and rose again. See, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people to empower them, but he also could leave them. We see here in Jephthah, the Spirit came upon Jephthah. It was a sign that the Lord was with him. It was a sign that the Lord was empowering Jephthah. It was a sign that the Lord was giving Jephthah the strength that he needed to to go after the task that God had given him. We see that with David, King David. We even see that with King Saul, where the Holy Spirit leaves King Saul. Much different than today because after Jesus lived, died, and rose again, one of the gifts that he gave you and gave the church all the way back in Acts 2 was for the Holy Spirit not to come upon you and leave you, but the Holy Spirit was the sign that you're one of his children. He dwells within you. But I just mentioned that in the Old Testament. You will find times where the Holy Spirit comes upon someone, the Holy Spirit leaves someone. That's the difference in the Old Testament versus the New. That was just free, by the way. Didn't have to pay for that at all. Some of you thought that was funny. The rest of you are just waiting for Thanksgiving. <laughs> but notice what happens in verse 30. Like you have this, okay, I don't know. It's not described as Jephthah riding on his horse, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he's like, woo, what was that? I have no idea. No idea. Did he feel nothing? No idea. All we know is the spirit came upon Jephthah. But what's interesting, what takes us off guard, if you're reading through this passage of scripture, is suddenly something completely unexpected happens. Jephthah makes this vow. Look at verse 30. It says, And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer up for it a burnt offering. So he makes this vow, and he says, Hey, Lord, if you give me the battle, if you do that, then here's what I'll do. Whatever, when I'm riding home, whatever comes out of my house, I'm going to offer it up to you as a burnt offering. Now, we don't have time to read the rest of the verses because I want to make sure that we don't approach this passage of Scripture academically, but we approach it like, Lord, what do you want me to get from it? But nevertheless, who comes out to Jephthah as he's riding home? The very first person, you know who it is? It's his daughter, And Jephthah is grieved over that because he knows what he said. His daughter comes down. It says there in verse 34 that she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. It says as soon as he saw in verse 35, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you've brought me very low and you've become the cause of great trouble to me for I've opened my mouth to the Lord and I cannot take back my vow. Look at her response. My father, you've opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies and on the Ammonites. Now we don't know the dialogue that takes place or when she found out the vow that he made from verse 36 to 37. She may have said this and then found out what he said and be like, why did I say that? But in verse 37, she responds and says, okay, let this bit thing be for me. Leave me alone two months that I might go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity, I and my companions. So he said, go. Then he sent her away for two months and she departed, she and her companions and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of the two months, she returned to her father who did with her according to his vow that he had made and she never known a man. And it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite. Four days in the year. Now, here's what I know. There's most of you in here, according to you raising your hand, that have never heard about Jephthah before. And those of you watching online, I have no idea how many of you have and have not. But here's what I don't want to do. For those of you who had the overarching question, if you knew we were going to be in Judges 11 this morning, is, ooh, I wonder what Johnny's going to say. Did he kill his daughter or did he not? And so what I'm going to do for a moment is I'm going to give you reasons why some people think he did and why some people think he didn't so that I can scratch that itch for you and then we're going to get real on how this applies to us, okay? So here's here's the view for why he did is cuz that's what it says. Very very intuitive, right? It says, I'm gonna offer a burnt offering for whatever comes out. His daughter comes out. And so those who think that he killed his daughter say that's exactly what it says, so therefore that's exactly why he did it. And his response indicates that. That's that view. What about people who believe he didn't kill her, but rather she lived a life of celibacy? which we also need to understand was next to death for a woman during this time. Because if you didn't have a husband, you had no one to protect you, had no one to provide for you. You were on your own, and you were as vulnerable as you could be during this time. So the view for why she lived a life of celibacy, just quickly, when you look at verse 31, he says, Uh, When I return in peace from the Anamnites, whatever comes out shall be the Lord's. And it says, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. In the Hebrew, that can also be translated as or. So people who think that he didn't kill her say, well, it doesn't mean that he would do it. It's saying or. It could be yours, Lord. I'm going to dedicate it to you. Or it could be a burnt offering, knowing that he didn't know what would come out. That's a reason. Another reason is she asks that she and her friends be allowed to cry for her virginity. She doesn't say her death. Even though back then it was best, basically, you were as vulnerable as Vernal could be to not have a husband and not have um, a family to provide for you, it still wasn't as bad as death. And she doesn't say that she wants to mourn her death. She says she wants to mourn her virginity, her celibacy that awaits her. Now, something else they'll say the request is granted, and she and her fan, she and her friends, not her fans, her friends. They basically go along with her for two months, and they also mourn her virginity. It doesn't say that they mourn her death. Now, interesting that when the vow was fulfilled, we're told that she never knew a man, but it doesn't say that she was sacrificed. So those are some reasons that people would give to say that she was not put to death by her father, but was destined to live a life of celibacy. Now, this is the greatest, I think, reason that if you wanna take that view, here's why. No Levitical priest would ever perform that sacrifice. It was against law, it was a pagan thing. You did not offer human sacrifices to the Lord. The Lord would definitely not have blessed that. The Levitical priest would definitely not have participated in that. And so those are some reasons why people would give, people much smarter than you or me, would give as to why Jephthah in his vow was not a vow to kill his daughter, but a vow of celibacy for his daughter. Now, why do I say that? Because I just scratched the itch that some of you have on what happened here. Now, on to greater things. How do we apply this passage of scripture? Because after all, all scripture is breathed out by God, and I'm here to tell you that the Lord wants to speak to you today, so if you're taking notes, here's the title of the message this morning. It's this question. Are you brokering with God? Because that's what sticks out to me in this passage of Scripture. This necessity that Jephthah has to broker with God rather than to take the Lord's promise that he would give Jephthah the victory at face value. See, here's the idea that I want you to get today for the rest of our time this morning from this passage of scripture that is often debated and looked at academically rather than looking at it applicationally to our lives. And I don't want us to make that same mistake. So here's the idea that I want us to get today. That the promises of God are experienced when you believe in them not broker for them. Did you know today that God wants you to experience his promises for you? That he doesn't want you to walk into this place and say, yeah, the promises of God, man, they're for Johnny. They're for Susie. They're for Mike. They're for Amy. I've seen them evident. But I'm not sure I can believe in them. No, no, no. The promises of God are experienced when you believe in them, not when you broker for them. And the reason why I say that is because this vow of Jephthah takes us much deeper into how Jephthah thinks, into his psyche. Let's think about what we've already talked about, and we're going to see it here. We're actually going to read some verses that show us this, that Jephthah lived a life where he had to negotiate for everything that he had everything remember he was cost off by his brothers he was seen as less than because his mom was a prostitute when the elders of gilead come to him he has to negotiate again to get what he wants to get what his acceptance to get a leadership position so he's lived his whole life brokering deals And because he lived his whole life brokering deals, what he does is he takes the very thing that he had to learn that was a part of his nature and he applies it to the Lord. And instead of believing in the promises of God and experiencing the blessings of the promises of God, he falls into the trap that thinking, the only way that I can experience those things is I have to broker with God. You know what's human nature It's in your nature and it's in my nature to believe that the blessings of God have to be brokered. It's in our nature to distrust that God can be faithful to his promises and it not hinge on deals that we make with God. That's against our nature. And if you don't believe that right now about you, I'm praying that you will by the time that we are done. And when I say it's your nature, I'm saying it's my nature too. Can I just give you four categories of the promises of God? Because there's many, there's thousands of them in the scriptures. But I would categorize the promises of God in four categories. First of all, The promises of God to you is his unconditional love for you. It's a promise of God to you. That he wants to love you unconditionally. You're like, Johnny, I'm not going to take your word for it. Give me a verse. I'm glad you asked. I hope that's your question. Verse John 4.10, because I don't want you to take my word for it. First John 4.10 says this. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. In other words, God doesn't love me because he knows I'm going to love him. No, no, no. That's how I love. That's how you love by nature. That's not how God loves. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son, his son being Jesus, to be the propitiation, the payment for my sins. What does my sin deserve? It deserves death. Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says the wage is what I deserve because of my sin is Death. But God loved me enough that he sent Jesus Christ, put on human flesh, lived a perfect life for me, a life that I can't live, died on the cross for my sin, what my sin deserves, rose again three days later, securing my salvation through his life, death, and resurrection so that today, if I place my trust in Jesus Christ, I believe that what he did for me was sufficient enough for me, then I have his unconditional love. That promise is now given to me. The promise of God, His unconditional love for you. What's another promise of God? His unwavering presence for you. Hebrews thirteen five says, "I will never leave you or forsake you." God is with you always. You want an Old Testament passage? Psalm one thirty nine. Not a better passage of Scripture to talk about God's unwavering presence. Get this: God's never going to leave you. He's never going to abandon you. He's never going to be late. He's gonna always, he's never, you're never gonna get a busy signal with the Lord. No, no, no. He's with you every step of the way as a child of God. It is a promise of His that He has given to you His unconditional love, His unwavering presence. How about His unstoppable power in you? Do you realize that if you're a child of God, you have a power in you that cannot be defined in your humanness? but it is a supernatural power in you through the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 11 says this. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. In other words, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that it took to do that dwells inside of you. You have unstoppable power. Second Corinthians ten four says, for the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. There's not a sin that comes against me that God has not given me the power to overcome. There's not a situation that I will endure that God doesn't give me the power to endure and to overcome. I have unstoppable power. That is a promise of God to you, not to me only, to you. Not to the person next to you only, but to you. How about this? This is the last category. I think we could place all the promises of God in these categories is unending provision for you. It's unending. It's unending. My tendency is to say, hey, haven't I given you enough? I'm not giving you any more if you're not grateful. Haven't I given you enough? When am I gonna get a thank you? When am I gonna get a thank you note? When am I gonna get a text? I'm not gonna give any more to that person. They don't appreciate what I've given. Nah, that's not the way the Lord works. It's not how his promises are. Unending provision for you. Matthew six thirty says, "If God clothes the grass of the field, Jesus says this, which today will, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will He not much more clothe you of little faith?" What's Jesus getting at in Matthew six? I'm your provider. You don't need to be anxious about your life. Why do I go through those things? Because what did we say at the beginning? The promises of God are something to be believed in, not brokered for. And some of us can fall into the trap that I got to broker those things. That God, if I'm going to experience your unconditional love, then I need to do something. God, if I'm going to experience your unwavering presence, then I got to do something. God, if I'm going to experience your unstoppable power, then I got to do something. God, if I'm going to experience your unending provision, then I got to do something. I got to give so that I can get. And we're just like Jephthah. In the time that we have left, I want to give you two pivotal things that begin to take place in your life when you truly believe in the promises of God. You're going to see yourself grow more and more in these two pivotal things. Here's the first one. It's from verses one through three. Look at verse one through three. It says, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Now think about Jephthah, because sometimes when we approach these stories, we can easily just look at them as stories and forget that these are human beings like you and me. And we can leave the passage up there, because I'm going to continue reading it. But think about Jephthah. Think about how it's described. A mighty warrior and a son of a prostitute. Now if that was you, think about what would ring louder in your ears, that you were a mighty warrior or you were a son of a prostitute? Because I don't know about you, but in my mind, the son of a prostitute would ring the loudest in my ears rather than I'm a mighty warrior. It would be I'm a mighty warrior, but I'm the son of a prostitute. You don't think Jephthah struggled with that? Look, and look what else happens. Gilead was the father of Jephthah. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, not his prostitute, but his wife bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, you shall not have any inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers. Can you feel the pain in those verses? Jephthah had no choice in who his mom was. Jephthah had nothing to do with that decision. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Remember that, no man's land. And worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. You know what sticks out to me? There's such imagery in these words. Worthless fellows collected around him. Jephthah saw himself as worthless. Worthless. Therefore, the only people that he could accumulate around him were people that he didn't think were any better than him. So a worthless person accumulated worthless people around him or how society viewed them. And those were his compadres. That was his entourage. And they lived and they scrounged and they were vigilantes to the highest bidder because remember, he's got a skill set. He's a mighty warrior. So whoever's gonna pay us enough, we will do their bidding for them. And Jephthah in his life, in his past, had to be a wheeler and a dealer, had to scrounge for everything that he got, had to look to barter and broker and negotiate for everything that he had. That brings me to the first pivotal thing that will take place when I believe, not broker, believe in the promises of God. Number one, your past no longer dictates whether the Lord's promises are for you. You're like, why did Jephthah make a vow? I mean, he had the spirit of the Lord upon him. He had the promise that he would win the victory. Why did he make a vow? Because he allowed his past to affect his trust in God's promises. His past dictated how he viewed the promises of the Lord. Listen to me, your past can shape how you view the Lord. It can. It can. You may be here today and you're like, "Man, you're telling me about the unconditional love of the Lord?" And if I'm going to be completely honest, I don't even know what to compare that to. Because I'm gonna be transparent about my life. You're maybe sitting there watching us online and you're like, man, you're, you're saying this, Johnny, but if I'm gonna be completely honest, I don't even know how to define love. I've never received love. I don't know what that looks like. You're talking about the unwavering presence of the Lord that he's always gonna be there for me. Man, I, I've got a deep wound inside of me because I've been betrayed by someone that was supposed to be there for me. And that deep wound is causing me to not believe that the promises of God are for me. Oh, they can be for her, for him. They've had a good life in comparison to me. No, no, no. I got a deep wound of betrayal by someone who shouldn't have betrayed me. And it's causing me to distrust those promises that you have given me, chapter and verse 4. Maybe you've been abandoned. Like, man, I loved my husband. I loved my wife. I wasn't perfect, but man, I, I tried to live my life according to God's word. I tried to show them the love, and they still abandoned me. Wanted to have nothing to do with me. And so when you mention unending provision, all I think about is that person who left me and give me the thing that you're telling me the Lord would give me, why would the Lord allow that to happen? Yeah, those are real. Those are real feelings. Those are real wounds. Maybe you've been abused. And the people that are supposed to take care of you and protect you, the very people that abused you. And so when you hear these promises of God that I listed out a few minutes ago, you hear them, but it's hard for you to accept them as your own. Why? Because your past can dictate how you view the Lord. And you can take the sin that has been committed to, against you or the sin that's committed by you, and you can portray those things on the Lord's character. You might be here today, and you're like, Johnny, I come to church, I put on the face, I smile, I sing the songs, I, I, do the, I look the part, I have my Bible, I'm in a life group, I, I give, I serve, give my time, give my resources, everything. But you don't know what I've done. You don't know the shame and the guilt that I feel every day. And I struggle in forgiving myself, let alone believing that God's love is truly unconditional. Here's why I say those things, because I I want you to hear me say, I know those things are real. I felt some of those things. I know how easy it is to take all of that baggage, all of that weight, all of that past, and to place it on a faithful God. But can I encourage you with something? And in this encouragement, I'm not minimizing your past. I'm not excusing your past. But I want you to understand something, that God did not create you to experience evil. When we look back to the beginning, in the very first book in Genesis chapter three, God created man and he created a woman And he created them perfect and he created them holy and they didn't know what sin was and they lived in a world without sin but he put this tree of the knowledge of good and evil because after all, God's love is that you're not a robot, that you can make choices and so can I. But what's interesting in that scenario is in Genesis chapter three, the enemy shows up to Eve and Adam's there with her too and he says to Eve, in reference to what Eve says to the serpent to Satan, "Well, we can't eat of that." And what does the devil say? Did God actually say? See, the devil's been selling you and selling me a lie from the beginning. That's as old as the beginning of time. He's trying to erode that God's promises are trustworthy. And obviously, Adam and Eve sin; sin enters the world. And ever since that point, we have had to navigate through life with sin in the world, which means I can hurt you and you can hurt me. Which means I can make choices that bring consequences in my life. And I say those things because I want you to understand, and what do I do with my past, and how do I harmonize that with the promises of God, that your past is not a reflection of God and his love for you, and his presence for you, and his provision for you, and his power for you. It's not a reflection of God. My past and those wounds that I have, what they are is they are a result of sin done to me or sin committed by me. And when I understand that, that that's not God's design for me, but that's why Jesus Christ came and he lived and he died and he rose again, His, he intersected with this sinful world so that he could make it all right, so that he could take my past and say, listen, your past doesn't define you. Your past isn't what determines your future. No, no, no. The promises of God, even though they can't necessarily change what has been done to me, what they can do is give me purpose for the future that God wants. And what we need to understand, first of all this morning, is that God's promises, man, they're greater than my past, And when I take the risk and when I exercise faith to say, Lord, I'm not going to allow my past to shape how I view you. Lord, I'm going to embrace your unconditional love. Lord, I'm going to embrace your unwavering presence. I'm going to embrace your unstoppable power in me through the Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm going to embrace your unending provision for me that if you take care of birds and you take care of the grass, then you're going to take care of me. And the ultimate sign of that is what you've done for me through Jesus Christ. God, I'm not going to allow my past to dictate whether or not I can believe in your promises. And that's a work that God begins to do in me. When I stop operating like a hustler, well, i got to have a plan B, man. I've lived my whole life that way. I've been on my own. The only person I've ever been able to trust is myself. So, yeah, I hear this God thing, but, man, I need to broker some deals. God, if you love me, if you're going to love me with that, then, God, I'm going to do this. God, I want you to provide for me, so, so God, I'm going to do this. God, I want to experience your presence with me, so, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And we just broker deals. And the beautiful thing about God is he's not you and he's not me. And he's not your dad who hurt you and he's not your mom that hurt you and he's not your friend that hurts you or whatever it is, whatever those wounds are. No, 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 he transcends those. He stepped into those through Jesus Christ so that you could have something to believe in. And what I see with Jephthah is a man who struggled to believe those things. And it brought him to make a vow that he never needed to make. Here's the second thing, and it's found in verses five through seven. I don't have time to read them. But in verses five through seven, you just see Jephthah wheeling and dealing. I mentioned it earlier. Where in verse seven, Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me? Like, wait a minute, you hated me, you drove me out of my own land. For something that i had no control over can you feel the emotion in that did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house why have you come to me now when you're in distress so what does jephthah do he sees that he's got the hammer of negotiation so i'm going to work this out because that's what i've had to do my whole life and he makes a deal and now he's the leader And then we find in verse 29 where the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, as I said. In verse 30, he makes a vow to the Lord and says, If you give the Ammonites into my hand, you you ought to circle that word if. Because that that word if indicates that Jephthah's not sure he can believe what God said, and it's not just his past that dictated that response, but here's the second thing that's pivotal, that begins to take place in my life, where I don't operate by like Jephthah, but I mean, I believe in the promises of God. Number two, your pain no longer defines whether the Lord's promises are trustworthy, because in the little too little letter word, if, we see the pain that Jephthah felt. We see it in verse seven of chapter 11, the pain that Jephthah felt for what was done to him. And that pain defined whether or not he could truly believe that the Lord's promise was trustworthy. The Lord gives no conditions to this. The spirit of the Lord's upon him. But Jephthah's like, man, God, I don't know if I can truly trust you, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to broker a deal with you because that's what I've done my whole life. I've never been able to truly trust anyone, so I'm going to portray that onto you. So, God, here's the deal. If you're going to do this, then, then whatever comes out, Lord, I'll give as a sacrifice to you. Why? Because Jephthah couldn't get over the fact that he was rejected by people. Therefore, he said, well, will the Lord reject me too. You're like, I don't see that in there. It's not in there. But remember, he's human like you and me. And I think we're not too far. We're not taking God's word out of context to say, I wonder if that was the motivation. Will the Lord reject me too? I gotta do something. I gotta perform. I gotta negotiate. I gotta broker. Why? Why? Because Jephthah, in his mind, has everything to lose if God doesn't come through. He just got accepted by the people again. He became leader again. He was seen as a mighty warrior. What if he lost all of that? He couldn't bear to think it, so Lord, I got a broker with you. Some of us are allowing our pain. I believe this today. Some of us are allowing our pain to distort our belief that the Lord's promises are trustworthy. Some of you have experienced great pain in 2020. You've lost your job, you've lost your business that you've poured your heart and soul into for decades, and it's gone. Some of you worked hard. Some of you may be in high school or college, and you've worked so hard in your craft, in athletics, in the season. It's basically gone. This 2020 may have revealed the cracks that were already in your relationship, and it just enhanced them. And you would have never thought that 2020 would have brought the end to your marriage. Listen, let's not be naive and not think that there is great pain that we've experienced in 2020. Or maybe it's before that. And we're allowing our pain to distort our belief that the Lord's promises are trustworthy. And you know why? A couple of reasons. I think, first of all, we feel this way because we made deals in our head with the Lord. We've made those foxhole deals, right? God, if you get me out of this, then I'll do this. God, I wanna achieve this, I want good grades, I wanna raise, I want this house, I wanna have a child, I wanna be married. So Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live this way for you. I'm all in, Lord. When in reality, what we may have done is we've been brokering a deal in our head. And so maybe our posture is not, God, I'll do this for you if you do this, but now we're in a crisis and we're like, God, I've done this for you and this is what I get? And we're experiencing great pain because we believe that what we've been given, that we've been cheated by the Lord, that the Lord shortchanged us. That this glorious exchange that we've made in our mind That God, I'm giving you this, believing that you're going to give me this. And then when we give him this, and God doesn't meet our ideal, we believe we've been cheated. We experience great pain. Some of those emotions from our past begin to rise up again. God's word says I have unconditional love, but how could God's unconditional love be true when I did this and you did this? God, I read passage of scripture about your unwavering presence. And God, I did this. How in the world could you allow this? How could you be present in this? God, you tell me I have the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. I've done this. How in the world could your power allow this? God, I've given of my finances to you. I've given it faithfully to the church, understanding that everything that I have is yours, and I've done that faithfully, but yet I'm still struggling at my job. I've been passed over four times for a promotion. God, how can that be true? And there's great pain in that, and it's like I've been betrayed by others. God's betraying me too. Why, because you're allowing your pain to dictate whether the Lord's promises are trustworthy. Because you believe that the promises of God are to be brokered rather than to be believed in. I've been there too. I won't give you the exact event, but there was a time in Lori and I's life where at that time we took the greatest step of faith up to that point in our life And whenever you've been faced with those, and I'm sure you have as well, you're you're anxious, you're fearful, but yet you're hopeful. Because you're like, the Lord is leading us to do this. He's confirmed it in his word. He's confirmed it through other people. This is what we need to do. We had one of those experiences. Greatest step of faith that we had taken up to that point in our marriage. We had a promise we can't outgive God, so... Even though we were anxious about it, we were like, no, no, no. We've seen God provide over and over again. We've seen his unending provision over and over again. And so at the greatest step of faith that we took at that time in our life, you know what happened? It worked out so completely different than we thought. (laughs) So completely different. I can laugh about it now. I was not laughing about it then. Nothing worked out the way that we imagined. Nothing. Cost us financially. Caused us to be deeply hurt emotionally. Took a toll on us physically. Nothing worked out the way that we thought. To the point that we were doubting that the promises of God were truly trustworthy. To the point that I was tempted to say, I don't know about Lori, but I was tempted to say, I'm not putting myself out there again. And after time and after dealing with that, here's here's what I became to realize. Here's what we became to realize. That the problem was that we were determining the outcome that would warrant that the promises of God were trustworthy. That if God made and met our ideal, then we would be able to reach the conclusion. That yes, once again, God has shown that his promises are trustworthy. His unconditional love, his unstoppable power, his unwavering presence, his unending provision. And when that glorious exchange that we made in our mind did not match our ideal, we experienced great pain. And not just pain that was because of the circumstances, but pain that our God would cheat us. And we had to embrace those feelings. And we had to embrace that crisis of belief. And what God did over time is He brought us to the place to realize what we know, but oftentimes we forget that the promises of God are not determined as trustworthy or not based on whether or not God meets my ideals but that God's ideals are going something after something so much greater than I could even imagine. Because I can look back at that time in our lives now and be able to say, man, I can see God's unconditional love in that. I can see God's unwavering presence in that. I can see God's unstoppable power in that. I can see God's unending presence in that, that I can look back at those things and be able to see those things. But that only happens when in the midst of that pain that I say to myself, wait a minute, Lord. My pain and what I'm experiencing, whether it's done to me or whether it's been done by someone else. No, no, no. That pain, That doesn't affect your promises. No, 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 no. Your promises give me perspective in the midst of my pain. I wanna read this and I wanna read it because I wanna make sure that I don't deviate from what I wrote down. And this isn't on your screen, but I encourage you to write it down. When we try to broker deals with the Lord, we don't limit what the Lord can do. Let me stop there. See, that's the faithfulness of God. Like, even in times of my weakness where I wanted to broker deals with God, and I would have never even said I was brokering a deal, it wasn't revealed until God didn't meet my ideal. But me brokering deals doesn't limit what God can do. God still did what He said He was going to do with Jephthah. Here's what it limits, though. It limits my ability, your ability to experience it, see it, and celebrate it. Let me read that again. When we try to broker deals with the Lord, we don't limit what the Lord can do. We limit our ability to experience it, see it, and celebrate it. Jephthah robbed himself of an opportunity for probably the first time in his life to see that someone truly was trustworthy. That someone truly kept their word. But because he felt the need to broker a deal, he was saddened by God's provision rather than celebrating it. And what God wants you to do today, in spite of your past, in spite of your pain, is to understand that God's promises are greater than your past. They speak to your past. God's promises are greater than your pain. They give perspective in your pain. That the promises of God don't change your past. They give purpose to your future. The promises of God turn your pain into praise because you believe that you have a Savior who's trustworthy. That in those moments where I want to doubt that, God, I've done this for you, and this is what you seem to be doing, that in those moments of doubt when I want to doubt that God is truly who he says he is and his promises are truly what they are, that what I need to bring myself back to is the greatest sign that God is trustworthy. And the greatest sign of that is not God meeting my ideal, but that he came into this world through Jesus Christ to save me from a penalty that I truly deserve because of my sin. And he lived a perfect life for me and he sacrificed everything for me and he died on the cross for me and he rose again three days later. That when I want to doubt that God is trustworthy, when I want to doubt that God is is not greater than my past and God is not greater than my pain, then I have one place to look and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this. And I encourage you to write this down. Let me first say what it doesn't say. Can I do that? Here's what it doesn't say. For all the promises of God find their yes in my ideals being met. It doesn't say that. For all the promises of God find their yes in my circumstances doesn't say that read this verse with me read it out loud for all the promises all right let's read it again that was terrible come on this is our hope for all the promises of god find their yes in him that is why through him that we utter our amen to god for his glory That's why we can believe in the promises of God. That's why we can say, no, 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 here's what I know. My past is no longer gonna dictate that the Lord's promises are for me. No, 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 my pain is no longer gonna define that the promises of God are trustworthy because that has been defined in my relationship with Jesus Christ. So when my ideal doesn't meet, isn't met by God, I know that he's got a greater ideal. because I'm one of his kids would you stand with me this morning and we're going to sing this last song and I just want to encourage you not just in this moment but when you go home because here's what I know I didn't come to the realization that I came to in just me describing an event in Lori and I's life by hearing one message it took time Took me to take to the Lord my past. Took me to take the Lord my pain. Took me to voice it out loud. Took me to allow the Holy Spirit to speak. And so what I'm giving you this morning from God's word, or better yet, what God is giving you through his word this morning, it's to give it to you, not to be like, oh, that was, that was great. That hit me a certain way. Walk out of here. Never mind. No, no, no. It's to begin a jour- new journey for you. A new place for you a new freedom for you. God, we're here today to remind ourselves that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Not yes in our ideals being met, not yes in our circumstances being changed, but yes because of what you have done through us through Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that your promises are something to be believed in, not something that I have to broker for. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing to him this morning.